talking about life, faith, and everything in between. This is Messy Christianity. And welcome back to Messy Christianity. Today we've got a special guest with us. Uh, Brent and Kevin are out of the office, and so I invited my friend Larry Reeser. Hello, Larry. Hello. <laughs> Been a long day for you today, huh? That's all right. Should we tell people we went fishing this morning? You just <laughs> did. did, didn't I? <laughs> Should we tell people that we got the snot beat out of us? Oh, oh my yeah. goodness. I bet you took what? Three Tylenol before you went to went to the nap this afternoon? Three, yes. <laughs> we were in the we were in the Gulf of Mexico literally less than two hours from start to finish. And actually out of the pass, back into the pass was about an hour and twenty minutes total. We caught our limit of uh, snapper for three people, and uh, the seas were two. Well, they were about three to four is what they officially were, but there were some. There were some that were a little bigger than that. <laughs> I believe we got totally airborne once or twice. Yep. <laughs> so, what I want to talk to you about today, Larry Reeser, is you are the founder and president of, uh, or past president of Global Focus, a ministry that was basically responsible for um, helping churches all over the world understand how to effectively do missions and so you started that in your 40s but let's go backwards and uh, I want you just to tell your story about what what started your understanding of missions and why did you start the ministry you started and uh, maybe a little bit about what the future of, of missions will be we'll, we'll just converse about that yeah when I was a boy I lived in Texas all, a lot of my friends' fathers owned ranches, and they hired Mexicans who came across the border illegally. They couldn't read, couldn't write. But uh, my friends would say, you want some really good food? Let's go out to the, to the Mexicans' uh, places where they live. And uh, I was just brokenhearted. They couldn't read. So school had already started about six or eight weeks, and I went to the Spanish teacher and said, I want to learn how to read so I can read to those guys. It just breaks my heart. And he, too, was Mexican. And he said, you really want to learn? He said, you're way behind. I said, I want to learn. That was my freshman year of high school. And when I graduated from high school, uh, half of my first year of college was paid on a proficiency in Spanish. My love for the Latin people began, and then as when I was called to preach, uh, when I was uh, uh, just a freshman in college, um, I immediately gravitated to my love for the Latin people, and God broke my heart, and I thought God wanted me to go to Mexico to be a missionary. It's a long story. I began to be a youth evangelist, and I became a church evangelist. I met my wife, who was a widow, but uh, passionately in love with Christ. But we couldn't have children. And so the doctor said, if you want to have children, you can't take her to that rigorous environment. And so my missions and vision and, and dream uh, was put on hold. Years later, when I became a pastor... Because of her not being able to have children, the doctor said, you have to settle down. I became a pastor, and I said, well, if I can't be a missionary, I'm going to lead my church to touch the world. Mm. And I'm very creative and and don't do things ordinarily, which is a curse. 
and uh, and a blessing <laughs> and a blessing. Yeah. And so I started doing a lot of creative things, and other pastors began to say, "Hey, hear about it," and say, "Hey, man, why don't you teach us what you've learned?" And the short of it is that after a number of years pastoring, I didn't have time to pastor anymore because pastors were asking me to teach them. So I hooked up with a guy in Atlanta who uh, was from Europe, uh, but he was representing a European mission here in the United States, but he he needed help. He had just started this organization to mobilize churches to be more engaged in missions. Well, I brought him to my church. I met him and I brought him to our church. And that weekend, um, I basically created a seminar for him and his ministry because he wasn't very creative. He's a good man. So I resigned the pastorate, joined forces with him, began to write material, mobilize pastors. Seven years later, and I began to work with a lot of large Southern Baptist churches, teaching them personalized missions. The so old, it, before that, yeah. during this thing, had did you intentionally set out to start Global Focus? Or no. it just kind of no. unfolded because no, it was what, in your heart? No, what happened this guy, because I had such a passion for missions, and I was a pastor, and I thought like a pastor, he thought like a missionary. So I began to write and create materials from a pastor's perspective I see. to mobilize people in the pews, get them out of the pews, and get them involved. I had a strong conviction that no matter whether it was a Southern Baptist church or a Bible church or an independent church, whatever, that the system and the modus operandi of missions was missionaries would come in, make a plea, we'd give the money, or we'd get, they'd make a plea and we'd give it to the denomination. It was all, give us your money and we'll go do it for you. I said, no, that's not God's plan. God gave the Great Commission to every Christian and every believer is to be engaged, whether it's locally or globally. So... I began to find creative ways. I began to take my people all over the world. We helped uh, we helped uh, reach teenagers in New York City. We helped plant churches in New York City. Uh, I went to China. We were in Latin America, Africa. I would take people from my church. We'd go build churches. We'd do ministry. And I, I just found creative ways to get my people involved. God began to call people into ministry. As a result of that, and we raised unbelievable amounts of money, and pastors started saying, "Help us." Well, years later, then uh, the the friend that I worked with for seven and a half years was a good man, but he didn't think the same way I did. So we amicably parted ways, and I had worked with Dr. Johnny Hunt, who you know, Jeff, and many other large Southern Baptist churches, mega churches. At one time, I was personally coaching fifteen mega churches, and. Uh, so when I started Global Focus, the Southern Baptist came to me and said, we want you to sign an exclusive contract with us and help us. I said, no, I'm, not, I'm a spiritual entrepreneur. I'm not a denominationalist, although at the time I was a member of a Southern Baptist church. And so they said, well, come back tomorrow. I, they flew me to their headquarters. So I came back the next day and they said, we've got it. Uh, we'll sign a contract with you. Uh, and you give us how much of your time? And I said, well, let's talk about it. So we signed a contract. They gave me a million dollars. Here I was, a, a nobody really, just a very uh, intense, passionate purpose, person for Global Missions that found creative ways to get people involved and raise millions of dollars for missions. So when I signed the contract with the Southern Baptist, I started Global Focus, and it took off like a rocket ship, Jeff. And, I mean, it just took off. 
And, uh, you know, we started doing pastoral seminars all over the United States and the world, training pastors, raising. At one time, I didn't say this, but at one time they told me that uh, 50% of all the new missionaries for the Southern Baptist Convention came from global focused churches. Wow. Churches that, that, that was through the IMB mostly? We had partnership with okay. the IMB. So you were a feeder. We were uh, feeder, yeah. yeah, and we raised millions and millions of dollars from First Baptist West Palm Beach. We're given about two or three hundred thousand dollars, and the first year they, they we helped them raise seven hundred fifty thousand, and forty nine of their people surrendered to go to the mission field. They'd never seen anything like it. When I went to First Baptist Woodstock, they were given about a hundred and fifty, and within five years, we're given two million, and we had uh, the last count over two hundred missionaries from that one church somewhere in the world. And every year they would take 2,000 people somewhere in the world on partnership missions, whether it's in America or overseas. Getting people hands-on involved is the key. I, I, termed, I coined the term personalization. Personal, yeah. Every person finding their place in the kingdom. And so that's the nutshell of how the vision and how it evolved. And I'm not smart enough to plan it. God just dumped it in my lap. Well, that word personalization... Finding yourself in the kingdom really strikes a chord with me because what I'm he- the story I'm hearing is about what God has done through you in missions, but really what He did was He helped you find your place in the kingdom, and exactly. and since I know your backstory, you know I, I have a, a I'm, I'm kind of leading you in a question here, but you basically have an entrepreneurial spirit, and it's always been there. Yep. And even in college, you were figuring out how to run businesses. At one point, you had bought a house and ran. Yeah. So and and so, let, do you mind? Yeah. Or is that a, no, it's okay? A I don't know yeah. if the school knows about it now. I guess it's yeah, too late oh, sure. now. But, oh sure. So if yeah. you and so here's my point. You were you were. I would imagine in a church you felt pressure. Maybe you didn't, but but because a lot of pastors do feel pressure to conform to a certain set of expectations and rules. And yet what God's put inside of them is totally outside of those. And when you're finally set yeah. free, God does amazing things. Does well, that make yes, sense? Yes, it does. But but the caveat here is that I only pastored three churches. And before I went, I asked them more questions than they asked me. And I said, if I come, you have to let me be me. Yeah. And I will be creative and we will do stuff that you've never done before. And it'll be out off the wall, and people will think that it's avant-garde, and this guy's lost his mind. But I'm just going to tell you before I come that uh, that that's what to expect. So I laid the expectations, and uh, and then the, then so I started doing all these things. And the people, what happened was, I hate to say it this way, but almost everything I touched turned successful, and and it's hard to criticize success. Yeah. And it was so. Everything was so successful. Money was raised. People being called. People. We went five years. The first church I pastored. We went five years and with and only missed three Sundays baptizing. But you know, there there's a there's a group in Christianity who would criticize success. <laughs> you very well know that. Uh, and they and they would they would say all kinds of things like uh, you know it's just about you or you know it's ego or whatever yeah and but why would we be apologetic well, if our own heart is in the right place why would we be apologetic that be, God is using us in mighty ways people are basically traditionalists they get they as a rule people get into ruts and they get into in the here's the here's the here's a caveat also 
everything that I taught and everything I did, I was a biblical principle. Yeah. God gave the Great Commission to every Christian. God said, go to all the world and preach the gospel to every person. Well, who did he give that to? The mission agencies? No. <laughs> no. He gave it to the local church. Well, who's the church? I used to have people point, get their finger out, and I'd say, who's the church? And they'd, I'd coach them to point to themselves and say, I'm the church. So if the world is going to be reached, then whose responsibility is it? And I'd get the people in the pews to point to themselves and say, it is my responsibility. I remember you doing that And here. I'd say, if it's your responsibility, then have you found your place in the kingdom? And we're going to teach you principles and 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 uh, teach you uh, uh, mission strategies that are going to help every. I tell I used to tell pastors, three to five years into the process that we will teach you, fifty to seventy five percent of the ministries that this church does didn't won't come from the mind of the pastor or the staff. They'll come from the burden of the people, hmm. uh, and when the people catch a burden and catch a vision, and it's their idea. Then you get involved. They get involved. You don't have to. I used to tell pastors, guys, if you just get your people in love with Jesus and get them engaged as the Bible taught and have an Acts one eight strategy. I just went to the to the retirement of a or the twenty five year anniversary of a young. When I met him, he was twenty one years old. He's now fifty four, and he went to this church with a hundred and some people. Now they're three thousand, and they have ministries all over the world. They have food programs in their city. They reach the they reach the poor people in their city. They have all they they they've started uh, about fifteen churches in their area, ethnic churches. They have partnerships all over the world. Their people go all over the world, and they were their churches. Their church spent eighteen million dollars, and within nine years, it was debt free. Hmm. And I tell to pastors, if you'll just follow the New Testament pattern, I used to tell them everything I teach is just New Testament principles. Uh, clothed in in uh, uh, creative contemporary terminology, and it's just New Testament, and don't be fooled by the creative terms I use. It's just the New Testament church. It's what God wanted the church to be, and quit worrying about the buildings and the budgets. Money follows ministry, yeah. and every church I worked with. Once they got the people engaged and developed strategy, and there was excitement, and people were being saved. Uh, pastors would just shake their head and say, I don't know where the money came from. I said, I do. Hmm. When people get engaged and they get involved in the plan of God and they find their place in the kingdom, they become generous. Yeah, They give. You don't have to force them to come to church or give money or get in engaged. It just happens. And uh, I used to be amazed. They'd say I was this contemporary guru, and I'd laugh and say, <laughs> no, I'm just teaching New Testament principle couched in creative contemporary uh, terminology. That's all. That's all it is. <laughs> so I'm laughing because, I'm, I'm, again, I'm tying back your, your in, entrepreneurial business yeah. strategies in college of how you pay the rent. And I'm yeah. looking at you now going, man, he's he's doing the same thing. It, exactly. Yeah. This. Can you tell well, just a little bit? Of, I, I, I was think in that, college. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fascinating. Well, my father had no money when I went to college, and uh, he didn't have any money. And uh, so I had to pay my own way. So I went to the university and rented a house on campus, had four rooms. Well, one room, I went to a local dry cleaner, and I said, if I bring dry cleaning to you, 
how much will you give me? He said, I'll take 60 and you take 40. I said, done. Wow. I paid a girl to go into the dormitories. She went into the dormitories and had a regular route, and she would get the clothes. I would go to the boys' dormitories. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, she'd go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, because Friday and Saturday I was out preaching youth revivals or being a youth pastor. So I rented this place. One room was a dry cleaner. Another room was a thing called Seven Star Diaries. But you never did any dry cleaning. You took it to no, a no, dry no, cleaner. No, no, no. I didn't do anything but just collect. <laughs> I collected the dry the cleaning. First Uber for dry cleaning. Yeah, I took the took it there, and he did it, and I brought it back, and then you had to come to me and pay cash for your dry cleaning. <laughs> that was one room. Another room was if you had a textbook that you had bought for ten dollars and you used it, but you wanted to sell it, you brought it to me, and you got six, and I got four. A third room was Seven Star Diaries. They were just little uh, the forerunner to daytimers where you kept track of your assignments and notes and daily guide and all that. Stuff. I had one room where I sold those, and uh, and one year I sold them. They were $7 a piece, and I sold about $5,000 worth of them, and I got 70% of Did the profit. Did you make the diary? No, I just contracted with the company, and I bought them and sold them. Okay, so I bought you, them wholesale. You've been the middleman in this whole thing. Oh yeah, every cut time. the middleman. Yeah, I just bought them retail. So <laughs> the fourth was nobody on campus had a car. In 1965, <laughs> I had a I bought a brand new Mustang. I put a phone in the dorm, let everybody call home once a month on me. I was, I made ten thousand dollars in 1965. I don't know what that would be today. I paid my own school bill, so, so I had the well. F- well you, yeah. you you bought a, you you had a phone. By the way, you did it at night, if I recall, because nobody yeah, was the, allowed I to wasn't have supposed a phone. To have a phone in the dorm. <laughs> so you put a phone in your dorm. But I and let you... every guy call home to his family because they didn't have the money to call home, and so I let them call home on me once a month. So once one, a week. one free phone call a week, one free and then they paid for the other calls they wanted to make. No, I didn't let them make. Any other calls? Oh, okay, okay. So I that just, wasn't business. That was just purely a was, gift to people. Yeah, to just, in, yeah. In, in, yeah. Uh, in no, the and area. I had another room. Nobody had cars. I had the only new car on campus. Nobody had cars, uh, and so um, uh, I went to a to a factory in in Georgia, Sewell Suit Factory, and I'd buy shirts and ties yeah. and suits and all that. And I had a so I had a four businesses under one roof. <laughs> I paid a girl a dollar an hour to take in all my money, and I worked all night at a freight line. And also on the weekends, I averaged for about six years, I averaged three and a half hours sleep a day. And about every six to two weeks, I'd crash and sleep for 48 hours. Catch up. You kind of still do that today. Well, not. I'm 77. <laughs> I don't do it like I used to. I don't know. To. You're going pretty hard this well, past week. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I just had a, a, a my, my motivation, I didn't, I didn't have any money. My parents didn't have any money. And I had to pay my way through school. And then because I was generous and helped other people and did things, God always blessed me. My wife and I learned the principle of giving. When we were in the pastorate, we gave 40 to 45% of our income to the Lord. We got audited seven times by the IRS because we gave too much money. And I said, when are you going to leave me alone? You never find any mistakes I make. It's just, Hmm. you know, giving to God's work. So, And they said there's nobody that generous. You what? They probably said there's oh, nobody that Oh, they said, generous. you, don't, you yeah. can't do that and live. I said, well, I do. Yeah. I said, you got, there's all my records. But the bottom line is, fall in love with Jesus and, and be, have the courage to do what God tells you to do. When I started Global Focus, I was in a room smaller than this studio, and God spoke to me, and no, people thought I was crazy. And I started it in a little room, and within five years, I had a million-dollar contract with the largest denomination in the world. 
none of that's a credit to me. It's just I worked hard and I tried to be honest with God and, and give bent to my creativity. And all of it was to honor God and serve people and, and fulfill the commission of God. Uh, and Jeff, I can tell you at 77, I retired seven years ago because I just wore out. Yeah. Now I'm back out of retirement, as you know, doing another ministry. And, but I could go to heaven any day and have far exceeded anything I ever dreamed to do for God. And I can say to everybody listening, a life lived for the glory of God, committed to him, fulfilling your place in the kingdom gives you a life of fulfillment at 77. You don't know a happier, more fulfilled man. My wife and I are just so blessed. And uh, just from a life of trying to be obedient to God and and have a passion. I used to tell pastors, be passionate about what God's passionate about. Be passionate about what Jesus was here for. What did Jesus come for? To glorify the Father and tell and reach people with, with the gospel. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's, it's pretty simple to me. It's just a matter of people doing it. So young pastors or, or even older pastors who have a lot of ambition that they've not acted upon, what would you say to them? Be courageous and be willing to take a risk. I preach to young pastors all over the world. You know, I've, I've traveled, Jeff, and been blessed you know, they say, you come in there and Dr. Reese are founder of this ministry. So they, you have credibility. And I've preached to 500,000 young pastors in all of Indonesia and China and Africa. And I, I have several things that I tell them. And one is to be totally in love with Jesus. Number two, be totally committed to his will. Whatever God says, you're willing to do it. And number three, be willing to take a risk. And, and and I hate to say it this way, but pastors, many of them, they're frustrated because they're in a church where they won't let them do what God wants them to do. And they're bound because they have a good salary and they have security. And I hate to say it that way, but they will, they, they're unwilling to take a risk to be obedient to God because it might cost them something. You know, one time when we started Global Focus, I was uh, I'd, I was uh, I'd sold a couple of homes and uh, wiped out our savings, and we were living in a travel trailer on, some, on a friend's property. And, and uh, I woke up one night, and I asked my wife, I said, are you okay? She says, we're on God's journey for mm-hmm. us, and this is the beginning, and I'm with you. She's always said, I'm with you. And that's another thing, Jeff. If, if a man of God doesn't have a wife that is supportive and behind him, he'll never be able to fulfill the plan of God. I would never be able have been able to accomplish for God and done the things I've done for for Jesus if it hadn't been for a supportive wife. Well, she sold real estate and drove a Mercedes, and I drove a Ford. Does that tell you anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's got class. That, there's yeah. no doubt about it. She paid the bills, and many times, uh, well, I'm old enough now. I don't care. I'm not you know, trying to win friends or influence people. I just sign my check and give it back to the ministry because we never had enough money. But God honored that. Well, that yeah. that's the that's the part that I, I want folks to really hear too is, um, you know, they they hear it seems as though when people hear a story like yours, they hear part of it. They hear you've been you, you, at one time coaching at the same time fifteen of the megachurch pastors and how to do missions. You are you literally know more people in ministry on a who's who's list. And I'm doing air quotes here than anybody else I know. Like if you, you could not say a name that is 
anybody in uh, church life on any level that you probably don't know personally or haven't been in the room with and have a conversation with. And, and you, the, the, the places you've preached, the parts of the world that you've had invitations, all of that to say, people see that part, and they're like, oh, man, I want that. But they don't see the incredible price that you paid, one of which is... Had you just stayed at the church, you could have easily retired after multiple years making six figures, mm-hmm. putting stuff in the bank. You you could be a multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. In fact, did not somebody at one time want to buy the ministry from you? Is that or oh, yeah. is that? Am I thinking of another? Yeah, I won't tell you who yeah, it yeah. was, but they were going to pay me pay me personally. They said we will put money in, a, in a, an account that will provide for you for the rest of your life to live extremely comfortable, et cetera, et cetera. And but their motives were not pure, and yeah. they didn't. Money has never tempted me. When I was in college, one time before I started all the businesses, I worked for a man that owned five dry cleaners, and uh, I won't tell you all the things I did for him. But after about a year, he brought me in his office, and I'll never forget. He said, uh, "I don't have any children," and he said, uh, "I would really like to train you to take over these, and I'll give you these five dry cleaners." and train you to run them and everything. And I won't call his name, but I said, Mr. K. I said, Mr. K, I'm really humbled that you would offer that. But I said, God's called me to preach, and money doesn't motivate me. Obeying God and and following Jesus. He, he was a Jew. He wasn't a believer. So I just used it as an opportunity to tell him about Jesus, as yeah. I had before. And he looked at me and grinned, and he said, I thought that's what your answer would be but I thought I'd give it a try. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, but that, but, but Jeff, honestly, I never saw those as sacrifices or doing without or not having, you know, not having the big salary and all that, living by faith. I never saw those, I never saw those things. Other people would laud me and say, boy, I never saw that. It didn't, it didn't occur to me that was a sacrifice. It was the will of God I was driven by and the passion for the people of the world. And when I take mission trips, like I went to China, and I go to towns, Jeff, and the missionaries would say, not one person in this town has ever heard the name of Jesus. Hmm. And I'd go to Africa. I went to Africa one time, and I said, I want to I speak the name of Jesus to people that have never heard it. And he said, I'll arrange that. We went way, way out in the bush and took a government worker that knew the language of these people. Went an hour, They sent somebody out in an hour. They came back. There was 50 people, including a little girl, I suspect, about nine years old. They'd never seen a white man, never heard the name Jesus. And I stood in front of them, and all of a sudden I was dumbfounded. Where do you start? Well, God. No, they don't. Even, you don't even know if they got a word for God. Well, God sent his son Jesus, born of a virgin. When you think about the Bible and the story of Jesus, and you think from the ears of a person that's never heard, you think, how ludicrous is this? But it is the gospel, and it is the truth, and Jesus is the Savior of the world. And we have a responsibility to get it to every person on planet Earth. And so those are the things that drove me. I'm no saint or anything. I just It just never occurred to me that you let money stand in the way or be an obstacle or resources. Uh, it just never It just never occurred to me. I don't, I don't know if that makes me weird or what, but I it just I just never saw it that way. 
Well, it strikes me, though, that um, when you are doing the desires of your heart, the, the desires that God placed in your heart, exactly. then fulfillment oh. could never be found in oh. anything oh, else. Oh, no, no. I used to, I, I remember one time I was preaching revival in, in uh, El Dorado, Arkansas. It was a large church. And after about three days, a lady came to me and she said, my husband says that he was a Christian when he was younger, but he's a big oil man, and we, we have the biggest house in town. We have an acreage in the middle of town. and would, But my husband, I talked to him into coming last night, and he said, would you invite that preacher to my house? I want to talk to him. I went to his house. Jeff, you could walk, you as tall as you are, you could walk in his fireplace and have, have space left. He had a guest house that was probably five times bigger than my house now. My house is not large, but it just—it wow. was unbelievable. He had deer on his property. Man was just filthy rich. He said, "I heard you preach last night," and he said, uh, "I don't know what happened to me, but he said something happened to me." And he said, "You're looking at probably one of the wealthiest people you'll ever meet, but you're also looking at one of the most miserable." He said, "I am absolutely miserable." And I said, the Bible says the, that, uh, the, uh, that abundance that a man has is not what life's all about. And I said, you're, you're striving for the wrong thing. And I said, I don't have money, but I said, I have peace in my heart. I know Jesus. I'm on my way to heaven, and I'm trying to do the will of God in this life, and nothing brings satisfaction like that. He said, I'd trade my life for yours any day. Wow. And so I've had so many experiences, Jeff, like that where, you know, it you just you know you go through your life trying to be obedient to God, and you and you just you know I don't know why but I just never been tempted by money and materialism, and I've met too many rich people that are that was, I met wealthy people all over the world and they're some of the most unhappy people if they don't know Jesus. Is it fair to say you you've not necessarily had all that you wanted? But you've had all you needed, and oh, yeah. pretty much most of what you wanted. Oh yeah, I tell I told my wife just the other day. She want she said I'm trying to find you something for Father's Day. I said, "Hun, I don't want anything." I said, "There's absolutely nothing on this earth that I that I don't have that that I want. I don't want anything. The only places on earth that I haven't been are the Grand Canyon." Oddly what? enough, I haven't been to the Grand Canyon. What are you waiting on? I don't know. I've you been know every, you're 77, I've right? Been, I've been to every state in the <laughs> Union. I've been, you know, I don't know, 100-some countries. I, but I want to take my wife to Venice. I've been to Italy many times, but never to Venice. Oh, I want to take her to Venice, and I want to go to the Grand Canyon. That's the only two places on earth I haven't been that I want to go. And there's nothing that I want, no materialistic thing. There's not. I have a wonderful one son who loves God, is a great young man of God, has six children that all of them love God. They're wonderful. Uh, in fact, we're selling out in Atlanta, and a year from now we're moving up there to spend the rest of our days to be an unpaid assistant pastor at my son's church <laughs> and to love on my grandchildren and help my son and uh, continue to serve God and travel, but not at the pace that I have for yeah. the past. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to put in a, a permanent... Uh, motorhome pad here because uh, <laughs> you'll have to get down to the sunshine in the summertime during snapper season. Yeah. Hey, our yeah. time is uh, for this particular podcast is at its end, but I feel like we've only scratched the surface. So, can we do a round two 
later on this week. We'll try because I yes. feel like yeah. uh, I feel like there's some things that that you could share that would really help people and bless people. But uh, thank you for your time. I You're hope welcome. that those listening will enjoy have enjoyed this, and I hope you'll share it. You know, God is um, God is indeed a creative God. He he rarely does the same thing the same way twice, um, and so. If God has put some desires in your heart and they're from him and they're for his glory, why not go towards them? Why would you say no to that if that's what God is doing? Don't be afraid of what people say. Take a risk and enjoy life. Thank you for joining us on uh, Messy Christianity. We will see you on the flip side. Thank you for listening to Messy Christianity. Three guys talking about life, faith, and everything in between. If you want to know more, check us out at www.storypointchurch.com or www.messychristianity.com.